Thanks for checking out our weekly podcast. Our mission at Grace is to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. For more information about Grace, you can follow us on Facebook or check out our website at experiencegrace.church. All right, well, if you have your Bibles with you today, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4. And just in case this thing goes out, I've got something else to make sure you can hear me, right? How many of you guys wish you had one of these at the house? You got one, yeah. Honey, oh, it's not on. Honey, what's for dinner? (laughs) Where's my wife? Hey, hey, babe, you'd like for me to get one of these, take it home? (laughs) How many of you guys are glad your kids don't have one of these, right? Mom, 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 I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm going to use this actually as an illustration today, and uh, I think that many of us would believe that we're thankful our, our husbands don't have one of these, and thankful your children don't have one of these. As a matter of fact, if your kids did have one of these, you probably at some point would say, oh, oh you'd be so embarrassed, you'd say, I didn't teach them that, <laughs> right? Maybe you've felt like that before without having one of these microphones. I, I, I do want to continue, as Mark said, in this uh, increasingly long sermon series uh, that we've been calling Made New. And what we're doing is we're walking through Ephesians chapter 4 and we're looking at all the different ways that God has uh, made us new. If any man be in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are, have become new. And so we're looking at Ephesians 4 after he talks about what it looks like when we are made new, our new identity in Christ in the first three chapters. Chapter 4 is where he hits the practical stuff, and he's like, look, this is what it looks like to be made new. And as we've walked through these early verses and we're coming to the end of it, we've seen a couple of things. The first thing we've seen is that being made new very rarely happens in isolation. We are not designed to live the Christian life alone. We're designed to live it in community. That's why God created the church, right? The body of Christ so that we can come alongside of, encourage, minister, and edify uh, one another. The other thing that we've seen is that as he comes to the end of the chapter, he told them there are certain things that need to be put off. There are certain things that need to be put on. And there's something that renews our mind that enables us to put those things off and to put those things on. The thing that renews our mind is the thing that that is called truth, right? You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. What we've seen is that the Christian life is not about behavior modification. It's not about, all right, guys, these are the things you put off. All right, guys, these are the things you put on. Uh, you know, don't do those anymore, and you start doing these, right? The, the, the important thing is, yes, there are things that need to be stopped and started, but it is truth that enables us to be able to continue in those things. Um, what we've seen at the end of this chapter is that he gives us five different things that need to be put off and need to be put on, and five truths that set us free to be able to do those things. The next one that we're coming to is found uh, in verse number 28. And um, just because on Labor Day we went over this topic, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this verse. It's going to give you a quick review of verse number 28. But let's see as we read it if you can figure out what needs to be put off, what needs to be put on, and what renews our mind. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather, let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give, give to him that needeth. What is the thing that needs to be put off, according to that verse, class? Stealing. No more stealing, klepto. All right? Uh, keep your hands in your pocket if you have a hard time. He says, stop stealing and put on what? 
hard work, rather. He, he says, uh, let him that stole steal no more, but instead put off stealing and put on labor, right? And then he gives us this truth that renews our mind. It gives us a biblical philosophy of, of work. That's what we called the sermon back on Labor Day. You can listen to it on the podcast or the, or the website if you'd like to. But he says, working with his hands the things which is good, and here's why, that he may have to give to him that needeth. What we see, that the thing that renews our mind here is that the reason we work is not because, oh, we have to, you know. It, it, the reason we work is so that we can have to give to those in need. In the message, Biblical Philosophy on Work, we saw that God designed us to work. A lot of times we think of work as being a part of the curse. How many of you guys have ever heard that? Work is a part of the curse. If it wasn't for Adam, we wouldn't be working. You ever heard that before? That's not true. What was Adam doing before they ate? Do you remember? God put them in the garden so that they could tend it and keep to it right to work so work is not a curse it's the sweat of the brow that is the curse uh we saw that work is an opportunity for us to worship we can worship god in all that we do as a matter of fact the bible says that we don't work as unto men but we work as unto god right the last thing that we saw was that work is an opportunity for us to minister um, we can minister through giving to those that that have need and we can actually minister while we're working we said that outside of our home one of the most important ministries is your place of employment. And so we kind of summed it up uh, back in September by saying this. We said work is not a curse. It is a gift from God. And through work, we employ useful skills to glorify God, to love our neighbors, and to further the gospel. That's a biblical philosophy of work, and that's what it looks like when we stop stealing and start laboring so that we can give to others. So many people uh, talk about work as a drudgery. It's one of the worst parts of life. I can't wait till this is over. Uh, but what would it look like if we were to approach work from this biblical perspective of God has given me these useful talents so that I can use them for his glory, I can love my neighbors, and I can further the gospel as I do it. You think that might change the environment of your workplace is that if every person there had that mentality? How many of you guys would say, there's some people there at my work that don't have that mentality? <laughs> right? Yeah, there's, I think all of us can probably raise our hands to that. We can't change them, though. We can only work on us. So that is uh, verse number 28. And I told you we'll just spend a short time on it, so we're going to move on from there and move on to the next one. So let's look at the next gift that God has given us that helps us to be made new. Verses 29 and 30 say, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So when we look at this, you can see it's pretty clear uh, the thing that needs to be put off. We need to put off corrupt communication. We need to put on good communication. And then we'll talk about what it means to renew your mind. But I, I think we could use this as an illustration and say that God has given us this uh, gift uh, and he's given us specific direction on how to use it. This is just a bigger illustration of this, right? Your mouth. This is what God has given us. And it's through this that God can make us new. The first way that we see that he makes us new is by the putting off. The thing that we need to put off, according to verse number 29, is we need to put off corrupt communication. How many of you think you might have an idea of what he's referring to here when he says corrupt communication? You think you might have an idea? All right, let's do this. Uh, I want you to look at the person next to you, and I want you to tell them uh, something that he could be talking about, something that could be considered corrupt communication. See if you guys together can come up with two or three different things. Ready? One, two, three, go. 
You don't have to give examples, all right? Some of you are like, I got a few that I could share, right? We could go around the room and, and we could yell those out loud, whatever you felt like corrupt communication was. And I don't know what you said, but I could venture to say you were probably right. Whatever you said, you were probably right. Uh, when you see this word communication here, almost every other time that it's translated in the New Testament into English, it's translated as word. Uh, and so what he's saying is, don't let any corrupt words come out of your mouth. So understanding what communication is, very clearly we understand that, uh, but here we have to understand what corrupt means. Don't let any corrupt words come out of your mouth. The word that's used here for corrupt is used in other passages of Scripture as being rotten. Uh, it means to be putrefied. As a matter of fact, if I had to use a visual illustration, we could probably take a picture of the pumpkins that you put out for Halloween and Thanksgiving that are still on your front porch. Does anybody have that? I do. I took a picture of this just the other day. Um, <laughs> so you're in good company if your pumpkins look like they could use some attention, right? What is that pumpkin good for? You know, we've got chickens and goats. I'm not even sure I could pick that thing up and get it to them. I'm pretty sure it would just run right through my fingers. You guys ever try to pick up one of these? It's just, it's gross. I could have come up with a lot more gross things than that, guys. Be thankful, right? But when, it, when I read what the, the definition of this was, uh, it's, it's, it's compared to a rotten or putrid fruit. The word is very similar to saying that a fruit uh, is unfit for use. Uh, it refers to things that have poor quality. Uh, corrupt is something that is of poor quality or no use. It carries the idea of not having a purpose, not having a goal. It is essentially worthless. I don't know what you said when you shared the different examples with one another, but some examples, obviously, I think, how many of you just on your own came up with corrupt communication? One of them would be cussing. Anybody raise their hand and say, yeah, I thought of that one, all right? Uh, cursing would be a form of corrupt communication. Uh, they're, they're, it's, it's not of much use, it's, it's rotten, it's putrefied. Uh, one person said that cursing shows a lack of respect uh, for others and for yourself. Another form of corrupt communication would be insults, uh, name-calling, uh, making fun of or tearing down others. Maybe you know someone that's like that, or maybe you struggle with that, but it's, it's important that we recognize that that's a corrupt form of communication. If I'm using this gift that God has given me to tear down people that have been made in his image, that would be corrupt communication. I love what one person said. They said, blowing out one person's candle doesn't make yours any brighter. But we tend to allow this to be something that is frequent in our lives, even as believers. Another form of corrupt communication would be slander or gossip. Just carrying on about somebody else or somebody else's issues and just letting everybody know when you know you can't do anything about it and they can't do anything about it. I, I love the definition that one person shared of slander. Slander is what happens when the result of our communication about someone brings them lower in the eyes of another. You know, it's easy for us to talk about corrupt communication as being something that people out there in the world do, but a lot of times we as believers fall into this trap. Verbal abuse would be a form of corrupt communication. I think as, as believers, I would hope that we're not physically abusing others. That's very culturally unacceptable. It's spiritually unacceptable. But much more acceptable is verbal abuse in Christian homes. 
God has given us this gift. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and oftentimes we use this gift that God has given us to just shred people with our words. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. I I think that uh, it's not much of a stretch if we were to modernize uh, the verse that he's referring to here because back then, uh, all they had was the mouth. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have the internet. uh, But I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that we shouldn't let corrupt communication come out of our mouths or our fingertips or thumbs either, right? Because we, a lot of times as believers... We, we wouldn't, you know, say those things out loud, but I'm floored by some of the things that I see people say online. Cursing, insulting, making fun of, slandering, gossiping, verbally abusing others. And a lot of times we kind of hide it behind things like politics. Listen, I'll be honest with you. If you want to know where I stand politically, I'd be glad to tell you after the service. This is not the place for me to give you my opinions But I do believe that it is a shame to the name of our living God the way that some of us speak about political leaders online. Like if you disagree with their policies, shred their policies. But don't shred them as a human being, as a child of the living God. It's Whether you're conservative or liberal, I don't care where you, actually I do care a little bit, but wherever you land on that thing, the way that we speak, the Bible says let no corrupt communication proceed out of, your mouth. What's the purpose behind that kind of communication? Think of it. What is it that you're trying to accomplish when you're shredding someone else down? When we're doing that, we're, are we trying to be accepted? Are we trying to impress others? Are we trying to make a point? Are we trying to inflict pain? Are we trying to lift ourselves up? The sad truth is that many of us that wrestle with corrupt communication just haven't been taught any better. We watched our friends do it we watched our parents do it we watched grandma and grandpa do it you know and we just haven't been taught any better but god gives us a better way he tells us to put off corrupt communication and let's look at verse number 29 again where he says this that no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but instead that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto the hearers so the obvious thing is to put off corrupt communication and to put on good communication look I know that's deep for some of you, all right? You might need to write it down, or I can say it slower, all right? (laughs) Put off the bad, put on the good, right? That which is good. When he talks about something that's good, it's something that's honorable. The things that need to come out of our mouth need to be things that are pleasant, the things that are useful, the things that are upright. Do we really need to give a definition of this? Do we really need to qualify it? I think we know when our words are good. And I think we know when our words are corrupt. And if you're unsure, just ask the person that you live with, and they'll let you know whether the majority of your words are corrupt or considered good. Um, At our house, my wife gives me a hard time because I drink a lot of half and half. Does anybody else use half and half in their coffee? I've been doing that a lot lately, trying to lay off the sugar a little bit. I love hazelnut creamer. And not like the name brand, generic, great value from Walmart hazelnut creamer. Anybody else a fan? You guys need to live life a little bit fuller, all right? But uh, I'm trying to lay off of that a little bit. So I've been drinking more of the half and half, and she says I drink way too much of it. Uh, And so at our home, it doesn't happen very much. But here at the church, sometimes we'll have half and half. And when people are only drinking coffee pretty much on Sunday to Sunday, a week goes by. And so when when you open the half and half, how many of you know you have to do a... 
You guys knew it. You have to do a sniff test. How many of you guys are sniff testers? I've got a good schnoz. I can, I can sniff with the best of them. And, and when, you, when you smell that, you want to make sure that it's not corrupt, and you want to make sure that it's good, because I'm not going to let any corrupt half and half come into my mouth. I'm only going to let that which is good to the use of edifying and ministering go into my mouth, right? It has to pass the sniff test. And the interesting thing about this verse is God actually gives us a sniff test to the words that we use to determine whether or not they're good. When you look back at this verse again, see if you can see what the, the two things are that he gives us in verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good of the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Anybody see what the two things are? They have to, number one, edify, and they also have to, man, you guys are good. I didn't need to use the next slide. The next slide asks, does it, I think it's up there, does it, I may not put it in there, does it edify, number one, and number two, does it minister? If it doesn't edify and it doesn't minister, then it doesn't have a purpose. Remember what corrupt means? Corrupt means to be useless. It means to have no purpose or to be of poor quality. If something is good, it has a clear purpose. As a matter of fact, when he tells us, is it good or does it, or does it edify or does it minister, this is actually a callback to the purpose for the church that he talked about in verse number 12. Look at verse number 12 again. He says, the reason that I gave the, the, the lead spiritual leaders is so that they could perfect the saints. So that the saints can do the work of the ministry, and so the saints can do the edifying of the body. So he's saying the reason the church exists is so that we can minister to one another and so that we can edify one another. And now he comes back to this part, and he says, the reason that I've given you this little thing right here in the front of your face is so that you can minister and edify others. Verse 29 is verse 12 in action. It's not enough for us to say. I, I can remember I, I used to curse a lot and uh, last week I quit. And so, <laughs> but I used to curse a lot and there was a point in my life where I said, by God's grace, I'm just not going to do that anymore. And sometimes my wife says, you really should cuss, honey. It'll make you feel better. And <laughs> she may be right. She feels really good. And so, <laughs> <laughs> no, but at one point I, I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. But I want you to, to notice that this verse doesn't just say, put it off. Stop cussing. Stop telling dirty jokes. Stop being a jerk. You know, he doesn't just say, put it off. He, he says, what else are you supposed to do? Replace it with something else, right? We're supposed to put on something that is good, or useful, or edifying. So if we're going to put on something that's edifying or ministering, then we need to know what it means to do that. So uh, he says here in the verse, he says, to the use of edifying. To edify just simply means to build up. It means to promote someone else's growth. As a matter of fact, if you, if you read it word for word into like a literal translation, he's saying here, for the edifying of the need. Uh, we don't see that clearly in this. And when we begin to dive a little bit deeper into it, you can see that he's saying that there is a need that needs to be fulfilled in someone's life. And when we are, when we are using our megaphone, when we're using our mouth to edify others, it means that I am actively looking for the needs of others, and I'm trying to use my mouth to help meet those needs so that it builds them up. Does that make sense? Um, we issue at our house uh, bolos. You guys know what a bolo is? 
be on the lookout, right? Apparently not a lot of law enforcement people here, all right? I've seen a lot of law and order, though. Uh, beyond, a bolo, we issue bolos. Uh, the bolos in our house, for me, is usually the ketchup. I can't find it. Be on the lookout for the ketchup. And my wife's like, did you move anything around? Yeah, I did. And she goes and she opens it right there. Anybody else have a hard time? finding things in the fridge. For my wife, it's her phone. Uh, she got a, 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 an Apple Watch, and Apple Watch does a lot of things, but the thing that it is used for most by my beautiful bride is to find her phone. How many of you guys have someone like that in your home? Where's my phone? Ding, ding, ding. It's ringing somewhere, you know, and uh, that's the technology that we have, right? But to be on the lookout for, where's my phone? Where's the remote? Where's the ketchup? You're on the lookout for something, trying to find it. What he's telling us here is that when we come together with other believers, we need to issue a bolo. We need to be on the lookout for something. Now, a lot of times we're on the lookout for some dirt so we can tell other people about it. That's that corrupt communication stuff. But according to this verse, he's telling us we need to be on the lookout for the needs that other people have so that we can step in and speak to those needs and edify them with our words. Romans 14 says this, Let us therefore follow after, to be after things that make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. First Corinthians says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, you have a doctrine, you have a tongue, you have a revelation, you have an interpretation. He says, you've got all these things that you want to do. And he says this, let all things, whether you're trying to be spiritual or cool or whatever you're trying to do, let all things be done unto edifying. And the way we edify is with our words. This is not only looking for people's needs, but it is asking as well. It, it's, it's getting to know other people in the first place, because it's hard to know someone's needs if you don't know who they are. So it's, it's getting to know others, first of all, and then it's going to that next step where you ask, hey man, how you doing? And, and they say, oh, I'm good, I'm fine, whatever. And then you look at them and say, really? How are you holding up? It's when you go to someone that, that you've, you've gotten to know a little bit, and you ask things like, man, is there anything you're burdened about? Anything I can pray with you about? Uh, is there anything I can rejoice with you about? And then to not only pray for them, but to pray with them. To use words of prayer to edify them. We need to be on the lookout for these things. Not only that, there's another qualifier, and we talked about it briefly. Verse number 29 says that the words need to minister grace. Does it edify and does it minister? The word minister here uh, in most other places in the New Testament is translated as give. Uh, when you think of ministry, ministry is giving someone something. Um, my, when I was young, I loved Flintstone vitamins. Anybody else love Flintstone vitamins? We were too cheap for Flintstone. I'm not sure what cartoon we were eating, but it was another one. And, uh, but mom would administer them to us, right? She would give the medicine or give the vitamin to us. And that's what ministry is. Ministry is, is giving someone something. And in this verse, he tells us what we're giving. He says we are giving or administering what? Grace. Grace is favor. Grace is goodwill. Grace is pleasure. It's delight. It's loving kindness. And he says the words that we use with one another need to give other people favor. It needs to give them this experience of loving kindness. It needs to give them joy and delight and goodwill. I think all of us know at least somebody in our life that's 
that's all they do. Like their megaphone is bedazzled because everything they say is just, ah, it's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the person that if you attend this church and you've been around for a little bit, there's one person that you're all thinking of right now. And I'm going to give you a second to think about it. If you know who she is, say her name on three. One, two, three. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you guys would do it. When I think of ministering grace, that's what Christy does. She's, a, she's, she's something. And uh, she's not here, so I can say that, right? She'll be in second service. But she just goes around, and that's what she does. She ministers with her words. It, what is one of the things that all of you have heard, if you've talked to Christy at any point? You may have just met her. I promise you, you've heard her say, I just love you. I just love you. And, and, and what she's doing is she's constantly just speaking grace and giving people affirmation with her words. And that's what the Bible is calling us to do here. Matter of fact, Colossians 4 tells us that our speech should always be seasoned with grace. We should come to church. We should go home. We should go to work looking for ways to do this, to put on these kinds of things. Uh, this last Tuesday, we had our final basketball event, and it was kind of a fun thing where they're playing, uh, the players are playing the coaches and the parents and things like that, and my wife uh, was up in the stands and she was talking to Sherry. I'm not sure if Sherry's here. Is Sherry, is Sherry here? Uh, she was talking to Sherry Sweeney and uh, Sherry and her were up in the stands and they were talking like the whole time. And when the thing was over, we've been there for like two hours. When the thing was over, they were still talking. They're like one of the last ones left. And I walked up there and I was like, babe, you've had four games to talk to her. Let's go, <laughs> right? <laughs> How many guys are always the one like, I'm going to go start the car, right? Let's go. And so I I, I was joking, but also serious, because I was ready to go. I was out beating boys in basketball, right? It's actually the other way around. But um, I was like, let's go. Well, then we got in the car, and I asked her what they'd been talking about. And what had happened is, as she was talking to Sherry, um, I didn't realize that, that Sherry had been ministering grace to Misty. Um, Sherry had noticed a need as they were talking Sherry noticed that there was something that Misty was going through, and Sherry identified, I've been through something very similar. And Sherry began to speak grace into Misty's life, and she began to affirm her, and she began to counsel her, and she let her know, I'm going to be praying for you, and all those other things. And that's what it looks like to minister grace. It's to have the, the bolo, like having your ears up, you know, your antenna going, they, they've got a need, and I want to, by God's grace, be used, use my words to minister to them to look to edify, to look to give grace, because God literally gave us this gift for that purpose. The last thing that we'll look at is the truth that sets us free. Most people know that they should communicate in spiritually healthy ways, and then we don't, right? Like, we know we should, but sometimes it's hard to get that ball rolling, right? The spiritual training that we see at the end of Ephesians 4 is not about behavior modification. It is truth that sets us free. And that's why he told us we need to renew our minds. There's a truth that we need to understand. I think we've already seen a portion of that truth that sets us free from corrupt communication. And that is that our words have power. If you want a passage of scripture to read about the power of words, read James chapter 3. The Bible talks about how the tongue is like a rudder on a ship. And whatever you're talking about is going to steer your life in that direction. Uh, Proverbs, we've mentioned already, says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words have the power to either tear down, corrupt communication, or they have the power to build up, which is edifying and ministry. But there's even a greater truth, I think, that sets us free as well. And you see that in verse 30. 
we're tied to the last verse. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. The third and final thing we'll look at today is how to renew our minds. We renew our minds by knowing that our words can grieve the Holy Spirit. The word grieve means to be sorrowful. It means to have heaviness. If I were to ask you to tell the person next to you a list of things that you believe grieve the Spirit of God, could you come up with a list of things? I think we probably could. But what's interesting is that from what I've seen, I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture where the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is grieved by anything else except for this corrupt communication. Now, I'm not saying the Spirit isn't grieved by those other things. I'm just telling you that when it comes to specifically talking about grieving the Spirit of God, it is our words that are emphasized here in this passage. There are a few truths, uh, there are a few truths that we learn about God here, and I think it's important to point these out. Number one, God is listening to our communication. I think that's, you know, be careful little ears what you hear, be careful little mouth what you say, the little song they sing in junior church, right? God is listening to our communication. God, I think this is important to recognize in this verse as well, God does not take away your salvation when you sin. Did did you notice there that he says, uh, don't grieve the Spirit of God? Uh, Can we go back to that verse? Uh, verse 29, uh, don't grieve the Spirit of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. It doesn't say that if you speak corrupt words, then God takes away your salvation. He says that it grieves the Spirit of God that has sealed our salvation. We also see that God has feelings. We are made in the image of God, and just as God has emotions and feelings, so do we. For the Christian that does not care about grieving the Spirit of God, there's little hope for controlling our words. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And if there's nothing in my heart that cares about the spirit of the living God, then there's little hope for me when it comes to controlling the tongue. If our focus is going to be upon being a blessing to others, ministering to and edifying others, we're still going to miss the mark because people are going to let you down. Our focus should be upon being a blessing to the God that gave us this gift in the first place. At the beginning, I said that some of us would be embarrassed by our children if we gave them uh, one of these things, right? They would say some things and leave us going, oh, I didn't teach them that. Um, What do you think God's posture is towards the things that we say? Is it something that encourages the heart of God or grieves the heart of God? Is our communication corrupt or edifying? Is it ministering or grieving? As we allow the Holy Spirit to work through us to others, we begin to see God do that supernatural work of making us new in community. My son Andrew has done some things throughout his lifetime that have embarrassed me (laughs) as a parent. And... um, One of them is, with our basketball team, we've really focused on, hey, the reason we play is to glorify God. Everything we do, we want to point the glory to God. This is an opportunity to worship God by the way you play basketball, right? And so last year, uh, Andrew shot a three-pointer, and he made a three-pointer, which didn't happen very much at that time. And so when Andrew made the three-pointer, he's going back down the court, doing this, doing that number right there. And... um, 
we don't approve of that on our basketball team. I benched him. I, I called him over to the bench and I said, son, who's that glorify? <laughs> Me. <laughs> he knew. I knew. I, we laugh about it. And, I, and we were joking around and things like that. It's fine. But on the court, we didn't want to have any of that kind of thing. It's mildly embarrassing kind of joke around about it. And I could go on and, and give you examples of things that he's done that we could laugh about. But recently... I had the opportunity to witness my 17-year-old son follow verses 29 and 30. He had a friend that had sent him a text that left him really um, uh, concerned for the young man that had sent it to him. And Andrew asked us, what, what should I do? I really want to help him. I think he's in a difficult spot. And, and Andrew just had a heart. Here's what he did. He saw the the need, right? He, there was a molo that was issued, and, and he saw that this, this young man had a, had a need, and so Andrew reached out to him. He sent him a text, no reply. Sent him a text back, no reply. He's freaking out because this kid sent him a text that was pretty, uh, pretty heavy, and, uh, and he keeps he's reaching out, reaching out. Finally, he starts calling him, and uh, no answer, no answer. Finally, the, the young man answered the call, and they began to talk, and, and Andrew could tell that the young man was just despondent, just incredibly discouraged. He was depressed. He was struggling with some anxiety, some fears, and things like that. Andrew's a 17-year-old kid. Like, he's not exactly a, you know, licensed counselor, right? But he is a child of the living God. And the Holy Spirit pointed out to him that this young man had a need, and Andrew just tried to speak life to him. Andrew tried to minister to him. He tried to, to edify him. He tried to give this young man grace. And I wasn't standing there listening to him, but we talked about it afterwards. And, and he shared with me kind of a personal thing. And don't tell him that I told you. But as he was talking to him, tears began to well up in his eyes as he was just concerned for his friend. And the only thing he had to help his friend was that gift that God had given him, the gift of words. Look, I think it's important because God says it's important in this passage for us to begin to use this gift for something far better than corrupt communication. The Bible talks about things that we should be known for. I think it's in 1 Corinthians. He says, don't be known for, for foolish jesting and all these things, but rather be known for the giving of thanks. What is that? It's using words for good edifying ministering what would you what would this church look like if every person came in with a bolo they were on the lookout for other people's needs and then before we left we found someone that we could minister to with our words before we left we found someone that we could edify with our words that's not something that only certain people like Christy Larson are gifted with. Now, some people are more outgoing, right? How many guys say, I'm not that outgoing person? Here's the good news. You don't have to edify everyone, just edify someone. You don't have to minister to everyone, just minister to someone. What difference would that make in our church? What difference would it make in our homes? If there was no corrupt communication in our homes, we weren't yelling and carrying on and verbally abusing one another, but we're speaking life into one another. What would our places of employment look like if we were constantly speaking in these ways that God has designed us to speak? God gave us this for a purpose. And Ephesians 4 tells us that one of the tools that God has given us to make us new is our mouths. By God's grace, if we'll follow this teaching, we'll begin to see God do a supernatural work in our hearts and lives as he makes us new and conforms us into the image of his son, 
Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening today. Grace Baptist Church exists to help people worship God, connect to others, and serve both. If there's anything at all we can do for you, please reach out to us. You can reach us on Facebook as well as online at experiencegrace.church. Hope you have a great day.